All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, your host, and I'm talking to you from the Borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 17th day of May, 2022. And we do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I'd also like to invite you to send any comments you have about this show, send it along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors. They are the ones that make this show possible. Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Aloral Resources, Core Asset Corp, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and Reina Gold Corp. Although I am very bullish on gold, given global and economic conditions, I am concerned about a number of potential problems for the mining sector and especially the mineral exploration sector given the current political climate. Gold and gold shares have been declining along with stocks and bonds. That's fairly typical actually when we start having a bear market. When the margin clerk calls for the loans to be repaid, the investors, the the, the, the debtors have to sell what they're able to sell. Uh, in order to pay the margin clerk. And gold and silver always have a bid, so that's always one possibility, one asset that can be sold and usually is sold in the early stages. However, once the Federal Reserve, uh, central banks start to print money again to try to pump up the economy, then uh, or even before that starts, uh, the gold market usually knows something and starts bidding up the price, and it usually rebounds very well. I expect the same will happen Again, uh, with uh, the next time that, uh, you know, quantitative easing, the next uh, next uh, bunch of quantitative easing is, is unleashed. But what happens, the bigger issue that I have in my mind and my concern is what happens if the dollar loses its reserve status and the Chinese and Russians succeed in replacing the U.S. dollar with a commodity and or gold-backed monetary system. And that may sound far out and just kind of a crazy notion to many of you. But more and more people are starting to see that as a possibility given the recent actions that Russia took requiring payment for their gas uh, and oil in, in their own currency, in, uh, in the Russian rubles uh, or in gold. Um, where will capital come from if that is the case, if the U.S. dollar loses its reserve uh, status and uh, and more importantly, if the U.S. dollar loses its purchasing power dramatically, as Alistair McLeod and other member other uh, guests on this show have suggested, would be the case. Well, I put those questions to Alistair himself, uh, Quentin Henning, as well as Michael Oliver, and here are some uh, comments from Alistair with regard to that. And I quote: 
Obviously, a loss of purchasing power for fiat currencies will will be reflected in rising gold and silver prices. So in the early stages of a currency collapse, we can expect mining stocks to outperform equities generally. If they occur, the latter stages of a currency collapse might be very different. During bear market consolidations, I would expect share prices for mines to attract significant interest, and if consolidations last more than a few months, I would expect capital to come available, at least in a brief window. Regarding the question of uh, capital, uh, where will it come from if the dollar's purchasing power is wiped out? Alistair had this to say, and I quote, Good point, Jay, particularly if my view is correct, and that is fiat currencies will collapse in a John Law-style crisis. I agree this will be a problem. A collapse of the world of fiat money will at least temporarily hamstring mines producing traditional money, i.e. gold and silver. Of course, the U.S. government has no intention or desire to support a gold and silver monetary system, and so they would have no concern about gold and silver mining projects. But we investors could end up respecting those commodity-backed currencies, particularly while Western governments have their heads in the sand regarding what real money actually is, end of quote. That was uh, Alistair McLeod's response to my concerns. Michael Oliver came back with more of a traditional um, response that you would expect from Michael with his technical uh, analytical expertise. It's olivermsa.com where people can sign up for his excellent newsletter. I strongly suggest serious investors considering do so, doing so. Uh, to these same concerns, Michael responded, and I just uh, here's what he mostly from his last uh, newsletter last weekend, his uh, weekend missive, the 360 degree uh, letter that MS that comes from MSA. He said. Most major portfolio asset categories are in the early months of a major decline of historical proportions. And even if the stock market bounces for a while from our predefined bounce levels, that will only interrupt the major decline in prime asset categories. And this time it's stocks and bonds. And that spells devastation for investors, pension funds, economic data points, governments, etc. Where do we turn then? We continue to argue that it will be gold and silver. And yes, gold is a traditional asset category, but one that most mainstream asset managers like to ignore or keep somewhat sidelined because it implies something negative for the rest of their portfolio if they choose to embrace it. But many have been embracing gold in recent months. That's quite evident. Then with regard to uh, gold, Michael said, um, just giving some some target numbers here. He was looking at something on the order of 1871 uh, for uh, for Monday, uh, but he's looking at something uh, dropping. Uh, that average drops very dramatically, such that by Friday, if we were to clear something like 1849 dollars, he would see an all clear on the upside for gold. With respect to silver, he's looking at something. Uh, along the lines of $20.91 by Friday. Well, I checked a little while ago, and uh, silver was selling at $21.59. Actually, he said if we get to $21.44 by Tuesday, well, we're at $21.59 right now. Wednesday, $21.25. So uh, 
by those numbers, it would seem as though Michael is uh, uh, setting up to be quite bullish on uh, on silver at this stage and uh, gold as well, but but especially silver uh, because it looks as though we are already at those key numbers, uh, breakout numbers. Well, silver has been a bit more uh, strong than gold in the last couple of days, so perhaps uh, perhaps we are on to uh, to something more significant. Um, for the precious metals. Quentin Henning expressed some concerns about regulatory excesses, rising operating costs for mines, and a shortage of skilled miners that are less directly related to the geopolitical issues uh, than Alistair addressed, but important nonetheless, important issues that Quentin uh, is raising. And he's uh, voiced his concerns recently uh, with this decline in the precious metals markets, uh, more difficulty. Uh, not a lot of difficulty, but certainly money isn't flowing as easily to exploration projects uh, as it was before um, before this latest decline uh, in gold and silver. Um, I should mention the second half of today's show, uh, we will be talking uh, to Kevin Duffy. And Kevin, uh, who is the author of the Coffee Can Portfolio, has some really interesting things to say about these markets. Kevin was a real ideologue uh, and made a huge amount of money with his hedge fund in 2008-2009. But then when things got good again, Kevin was having trouble making money. I mean, uh, <laughs> so he sort of figured out ways uh, to play both sides of the market. And uh, I think he's a much better investor now than he was when he made a killing in 2008-2009 by being on the right side of the market. Uh, a lot of different ways, very interesting ways to look at the market ways to make money um, both in bull markets and, and bear markets. And so I'm really looking forward to Kevin. He'll be with me in the second half of today's show. But um, when we, I do have to go to break now. When we, uh, as soon as we come back, we'll have John Rubino with us. Uh, and uh, I want to ask John if he has some ideas about how mining projects might get funded uh, if uh, Alistair McLeod's views and, and uh, the views of some other guests on this show come to pass, that is, if we uh, see the dollar losing its reserve currency status and the dollar loses vast portions of its purchasing power, how will mining projects get funded? Well, how will capital be supplied in the United States in general for all manner of, uh, of, of needs that we have? And those are ideas uh, that I want to explore with John as well. And, uh, and maybe Kevin Duffy as well in the second half of today's show. We're going to go to break now, but don't go away because John Rubino will be with me right as soon as we return. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have a good friend of mine, John Rubino, back with me here today. Uh, John is the founder of the popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com, and he is the author of many books, including one uh, he has co-authored with James Turk, that being The Money Bubble. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Good to be back. It's good to have you with us um, all the way up there in the northwestern part of the United States. I suppose it's raining um yeah how did you guess <laughs> <laughs> how'd i guess well anyway you're nice and dry where you are and uh, really glad that you could join us you know this is talking in in the monologue a little bit about some concerns i have uh we have alistair mcleod on the show frequently we have people like um well like yourself and and other well-known guests uh, that are concerned about the dollar, about the direction of things in the global economy, about the existing global uh, money infrastructure, monetary infrastructure, uh, and concerned that the dollar could lose its reserve status, which I think would be a really big deal for Americans, uh, even though most Americans aren't don't give it much thought. Um, I just wonder, uh, my concern is that how do things get funded? And specifically, as one who invests in equities, gold and silver exploration equities, mining companies that produce those metals, um, you know, where is the money going to come from if the dollar becomes relatively worthless? Well, there, there will always be capital to fund good projects. Um, what, what will happen as we progress from the fiat currency world to a you know, sound money world um, is that the, um, the, the people who own real assets like gold and silver and farmland and energy assets and things like that mm-hmm. will tend to have more of the capital. And the people that um, bet on dollar cash, bank accounts, bank stocks, other kinds of financial equities, junk bonds, things like that, uh, they'll have less capital because their assets are not going to do very well. And real assets will will do very well, but the total amount of investable capital will probably shrink because there's too much play money circulating yeah. in the system right now. You know that's the definition of of our financial system is excess liquidity. Um, a lot of that liquidity is pointless 
and basically just fake, and it'll have to go away. So it will be harder to get things funded in general in a sound money world, uh, which means low quality assets, low quality projects, you, you won't want to bother with. But the really high quality things, let's, let's say a gold mine that has found an awful lot of gold in the ground, proved it's there and is getting ready to go into production. Something like that will have no trouble getting financed because it will be a legit business. Uh, whereas a lot of the things that uh, that exist in today's world are not legit businesses, and things like that are going to be very hard to fund in the future. So it's going to be a you know a tougher world for an entrepreneur, but a much more rational world. Well, we certainly have seen the financialization of the Western economy economies, at least I, I would argue more than uh, with China and some of the Asian countries, Russia included on that, in that regard, I would say. But Alistair McLeod points out that one of his major concerns is that the banks that have expanded their balance sheets, uh, those assets are secured by financial assets more than by, uh, say, material assets that are used to produce wealth. And his concern is that once things start to implode in the financial markets, as they are starting to, it would seem uh, that banks themselves are going to be in trouble. And in fact, he points out the uh, mostly I think he's most concerned about the European banks and uh, Japanese banks, for example. They, you know, they bought so many securities and now with interest rates going up, those securities are underwater such that many of those central banks themselves have actually have negative net worths, at least on paper. Um, and so that would seem to be, you know, of, of grave concern to Jay Powell and other central bankers now. Uh, if they try to tighten up, um, they could really, you could really see this thing sort of spiral uh, downward, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. The central banks of the world are in a, a box now that they can't get out of. And, and as you said, a big part of the reason is that so much of the... Um, the wealth, quote unquote, mm -hmm. in today's world is um, bound up in financial assets, which really aren't valuable when they're they're finally repriced to their uh, their intrinsic value. They'll be worth a lot less. So if you're a bank, for instance, and you're worth half a trillion dollars in terms of market cap. But most of your assets are financial assets that depend for their value on the fiat currency in the countries um, in which you work. Uh, and those fiat currencies are going to go to zero or something close to it. Then your assets aren't worth anything and your bank is not worth anything. And that's the process that we're going to go through where a lot of financially based companies are going to turn out to be, um, you know, uh, what's the old saying about standing on shifting sand or something yeah. like that. Anyhow, they're, they're, uh, they're going to be on very shaky foundations. And uh, it, as that is proven true, the value of everything like that will plunge. So, yeah, you know, that, that's, that, that's absolutely right. And it absolutely applies even to central banks mm -hmm. because their, their main tools for operation are um, a printing press that spews out fiat currency. If that fiat, fiat currency becomes a lot less valuable, they lose their tools for manipulating markets. Mm -hmm. And um, their function basically goes away. So we're headed that way. Uh, whether it, it happens this year, next year, or 20 years from now, that's the big question. Because for us to be able to, um, you know, to really make money from this process, we kind of need to time it right. And that's the, the hard part, because you can't really do that. All you can do is just kind of 
position yourself in the path of history, on the right side of history's tides, and kind of let those tides carry you along. But you, you can't know when it's going to produce big winners for you and when it's going to, like today, for instance, produce kind of a boring situation where you just kind of have to get through what the financial markets are doing and hope that they, they go your way another day. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we're looking here at the Nasdaq is up 320 points as we speak. Uh, you know, it's up. That's up 2.7 percent. The Dow is up 1.35 percent, and the S and P up 2 percent. Uh, what's to be fearful, John? Everything is <laughs> everything is looking really good. It's a, is this the calm before the storm? Are we in uh, in the eye of the hurricane now, or uh, or uh, you know? I mean, I would I would think. Gee, it would be nice to think we're on to better times again, and we're going to start to make lots of money just owning paper. Mm, yeah, we we probably are in the eye of the hurricane for for this reason. The Fed is still in that box where uh, if stocks are going up, see the, the the crashing stock market was going to be their excuse for stopping their tightening, mm -hmm. and that would allow them to go back to easing, which is where they really want to be. But with inflation, what it is right now, and and it looks like it's going to continue to be high for at least another year, given that what's happening in food and energy and other markets. Um, the the Fed will have to continue to tighten in the face of that rising inflation. Uh, and if the stock market doesn't go down, then the Fed, there's really no end to the Fed's tightening. So they're going to have to tighten until they completely break the financial markets. And it's not clear, for instance, what interest rate on, say, the 10-year Treasury will do it. But we know it's higher than today's rate because the system hasn't broken yet. Uh, but we're, we can be reasonably sure it's not that much higher because so many um, leveraged entities depend on low interest rates that at some point rising interest rates will just break so much of the financial market that the whole thing comes come tumbling down. So that's the Fed's dilemma. Um, if, in, if stocks are up today and if they're going to be up maybe this week or next week, then the Fed has no excuse for not tightening aggressively going forward. So they'll just have to keep doing it and, until the, the market tells them it's time to stop. And the way the market will do that is by crashing. So um, we definitely or probably are in the eye of a storm with um, the other side of the storm coming at us in the form of falling stock prices and crashing bond prices and general financial chaos. Uh, mm -hmm. And it probably won't be too long. So rather than buy the dips, we um, might might uh, look at selling and taking a day like today to lighten up our portfolios might be good advice. And Well, I, I would say that, yeah. Although, you know, it's understandable. The, the buy the dip people uh, um, ha have had that work for them for literally our entire adult lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise that uh, that that kind of attitude is ingrained in the market. And uh, people see something like what happened in the last few weeks in stocks as just another buying opportunity. So what what happens when you get to a really serious bear market is that it dips, the dip buyers come in, push it back up, it dips again, it dips again, and it keeps on doing that until it flushes out all the dip buyers, until everybody who um, has been trained to, to buy whatever they're looking at when it's down by 20%, finds out that it can actually go down 40 or 50% and then they, they change it, you know, they, they leave the market. Um, and that is how real bear markets happen. So we're, I, I think, headed for something like that because clearly the Fed's not going to stop tightening um, until either inflation goes back down, which it's not, or the financial markets crash, which they could easily do from here. So I yeah. think that's the next stage. 
Yeah, and as you've pointed out, uh, and as you and I know, because we've been around these markets for for quite a quite a few cycles, actually, it's usually something on the periphery of the market that causes things to break down. And you've mentioned a couple of things that uh, came to your mind: uh, the SPAC markets. Uh, talk to us about the SPAC markets and their their failure. They don't they they were all the rage for a little while. Uh, I, I guess not so much so now, right? Yeah, you're right. Things at the periphery are starting to break down, and that that is how it usually works. The the um, the, the crappy assets are the things that people sell first, and the good quality stuff holds up longest. So you see the uh, the weird stuff breaking down earliest, and that's what tells you you're in the early stage of a bear market. And yeah, SPACs are special purpose acquisition companies, which are basically blank checks. You just give some money to somebody and they promise to go out and buy something really exciting with it and make you a lot of money, which is, you know, in good times, maybe they can do that. But in harder times like today, it's very hard to do, just take some money right now and go out and buy something that's going to double or triple. Uh, so SPACs brought in tons of money for a few years. And now that market has completely crashed. There, there are very few deals being done. The existing SPACs are collapsing. Um, and another thing not unrelated to that, but kind of still similar to it is the the NFT, non-fungible token. That's a, a kind of crypto asset, something that's, um, you know, a digital image of something, let's say, um, that is traded on a blockchain. And the fact that it's registered on a blockchain means you own the original version of that image, but the image is in every way identical to anything else you could just copy off the internet. So it isn't actually anything. But NFTs brought in a ton of money for a while, and now they're starting to fall apart. And, and uh, the last thing at the periphery that we should probably be watching is stable coins. These are cryptocurrency, sort of like Bitcoin, but they're, they're made to have a stable value. In other words, each coin is worth one dollar or one gram of gold or whatever. And they're starting to blow up. There was one based on the dollar just lately that uh, this is a little bit of a funny story, but uh, it, it tanked. It had kind of a run on it. Its value went way down. And the guys managing that stable coin had bought a lot of Bitcoin in order to um, back their stablecoin. Well, they had to sell their Bitcoin in order to try to, to salvage their stablecoin, and that pushed Bitcoin down. So there was a, a absolutely horrendous couple of weeks in cryptos, and that's part of why that happened. So, so yeah, stuff like that. And then old-style peripheral things like junk bonds are also getting whacked. So what we're seeing is at the edges of the financial system, things that used to um, be seen as innovations are turning out to be frauds. And uh, the money that's lost there requires people to sell their better quality assets in order to pay maybe the margin or whatever kinds of debt they have against these peripheral assets. And the uh, carnage starts creeping in towards the center. And so the, uh, the bear market won't end until the stuff at the center gets crushed. And we're a long way from that. Well, not that far. I mean, uh, big tech has gotten beaten up lately too, but there are still a lot of financial assets that are holding up pretty well. And uh, it's only when the, what we think of now is almost risk-free, the tried and true yeah. blue chip assets at the center of the financial system, when they get crushed, then we know maybe it's time to take some, uh, take some profits on our shorts and start going long again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're there yet. I notice uh, right now the the 10-year, which I watch fairly closely, the 10-year bond, 10-year treasury, 
Uh, it's almost up a tenth of a percent today, to just just underneath three percent. I don't know how much higher above three percent we can go um, before things start to break, John. Well, if you really want to simplify your financial analysis, just look at the ten-year Treasury, and uh, and you'll find out that there's a number on the ten-year Treasury that breaks the financial system because so much other stuff keys off the ten-year Treasury. Yeah. You know, mortgages are derived mm-hmm. from from that um, Treasury note. Um, so let's say let's say the number is four and a quarter percent, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can just watch the ten-year Treasury, and and as it gets higher and higher, the closer it gets to four and a quarter percent, the shakier the global financial system becomes. And when it hits that number, it's four and a quarter percent. The system just breaks. And if you don't look at anything else and just watch that, you have a pretty good handle on how things are going out there. So. Uh, pay attention to the ten-year treasury, and then you know, relax. Otherwise, you don't need to look at much else. Well, as Alistair McLeod points out, um, central bankers, when once you have so much debt on the books, Japan is the, is the best case of this now. You know, they can't really allow their interest rates to rise because they have so much debt. They'll, you know, they they can't pay the they can't pay the interest on it if it gets much, too much higher. And so I think that's the fix that most central banks in the West, at least, are are up against now. And you just have to wonder, you know, how much higher things can go before. And then and then what happens, John? I mean, will there be another quantitative easing or will we have a new uh, a new global um, financial monetary infrastructure? Who knows? Well, I, I thought the stuff that went on in 2008, 2009 would be the end of the fiat mm-hmm. currency slash um, fractional reserve banking mm-hmm. system. And they they managed to get themselves out of it by creating insane amounts of new debt and, and just dumping it out into the system. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't want to, since I don't have a good track record for calling the end of this thing, I wouldn't want to <laughs> yeah. call this the end. But boy, yeah. it feels like we can't do much yeah. more than this. You know, it feels like this has to be the end of of this version of the global financial system when this thing finally blows up, which it feels like it's getting ready to do. So we we might be close to seeing some serious financial history take place here. The end of the experiment, the global experiment with unbacked currencies that began in 1971 may finally be ending um, with a bang, not a whimper. Yeah. Well, you know, we're zero-bound interest rates. This is the first time after 2008. Um, negative interest rates in Europe, it just doesn't make any sense, uh, at least to, to, to my humble way of thinking. I don't know. I can't, I, can't, I can't comprehend them any more than NFTs, to be honest with you. Well, you don't can get make- away with that stuff as long as people value your currency. Yeah. Because if they'll if they'll take the money that you're creating out of thin air and give you real stuff for it, you can keep playing that game. But see, we're we're running out of that ability as inflation starts to really accelerate. Which is, you know, inflation is just people saying, "No, we don't want your currency at mm-hmm. current prices. You gotta you gotta pay us more um, than uh, than we're now getting, or mm-hmm. we're just not going to hold on to your currency." And that's exactly. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a thing called the crack up boom that signifies the end of that process, and that uh, you know people um, demanding much higher prices for everything they're selling is the early stage of that. So we're we're starting that process. You know, the math just simply doesn't work. Uh, you can't pay more interest because uh, everything is fixed on lower rates, and everything sort of not everything, but more and more things start to fall apart because they're not economic with higher interest rates and. Uh, 
governments and, and corporations as well. And you just have to wonder, uh, individuals are now counting on money from the government. Where does the money, where does government get their money? They, they Can they print infinitely? No. Uh, so who knows, John? But I, So the idea then to prepare is to get rid of this uh, intrinsically worthless currency and buy things that have value, I guess, that have intrinsic value, right? Yes. Well, the for instance, the um, the little miners, the exploration companies that you cover in your newsletter, uh, the best of them are just going to be spectacular winners in the kind of environment that looks like it is coming. Uh, because as, as we started the show with um, uh, talking about capital, there will be less capital in tomorrow's world, but but it will be much more sharply focused on high quality assets. And mm-hmm. so the you know the companies that you specialize in finding are, um, are are generally speaking really high quality assets in the precious metal space. So if you rightfully love gold and silver and you want to own the miners, then the good quality miners are going to attract an awful lot of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, you know personally. Uh, I'm I'm buying a lot of the stuff that you're discovering and, and yeah. holding them for the end of this process. Well, I certainly um, I am too, but I am I do have some trepidation about uh, in the meantime before we get back on to rising gold and silver prices because when the margin clerk calls, whatever can be sold is sold, and yes, it's true that a lot of the things on the margin get sold first, but it's also true that gold and silver always have a bid. There's always a bid on those on those metals, on those markets. And so a lot of times they get sold down early um, in, in a market as well. And we think we're seeing that. Uh, we saw it in 2008, 2009, gold got hit really hard. But then uh, quite a few months before the equity markets took off, gold just shot up like a rocket. And it was a, a star performer. I expect the same thing will happen again. But again, uh, things are never quite the same as they were in the previous cycles. And to me, this whole notion of Russia and China uh, moving towards uh, asset-backed monetary system, which seems to be what Russia is definitely doing, and from what I understand, probably making more progress than we're hearing about uh, in the you know in the in the general um, media these days. Uh, that that uh, there are a lot of European companies that are finding ways to get their hands on Russian gas. So, uh, you know, who knows? But to me, um, you know, we, we talk about the fourth turning. Could this be, you know, one of those major turning points in history uh, that, you know, that mean that a lot of the rules of the past don't quite apply? Uh, I guess time will tell, but uh, that's sort of my sense of things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is a huge historical turning point. And the the process of getting from here to some kind of sustainable thing that we can go forward with is going to be brutal. Uh, and we really need to be protecting ourselves on every level. If, if you're not a prepper now, um, it, the time to begin most kinds of prepping uh, is here. You know, it's time to start protecting yourself against very serious disruptions in almost everything. All right. Thank you, John. We'll have to leave it go at that. And um, we'll... Thank you again for spending time with us. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Kevin Duffy will definitely have some ideas about how to protect yourself in this market in these uncertain times. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Kevin Duffy. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashear in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Shanate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of Mag Silver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. Learn more at reinagold.com. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Kevin Duffy with me once again. Kevin is the principal of Bearing Asset Management, which he co-founded in 2002. The firm manages the Bearing Core Fund and a contrarian macro-themed hedge fund with a flexible mandate. Uh, Kevin has really had had a, a lot of success in 2008, 2009, uh, and then after that, uh, found a little tough going, uh, and he had to revise his uh, the way he invested. He was, uh, I, I would say, Kevin is more of an ideologue at one point, and then he sort of realized that there's a way you can make money in good markets and bad, bad markets. And so uh, it's really a pleasure to have Kevin with us today. He writes a newsletter called The Coffee Can Portfolio, which you can sign up for, you can subscribe to, which I did earlier this morning. It's a very... Uh, a very reasonable price uh, subscription. Uh, go to the coffeecanportfolio.com to sign up for that letter. Thanks for joining me, Kevin. Thanks for having me back on, and and uh, thanks for the vote of confidence in subscribing. Well, it it wasn't as if I sold my house to do it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't require that. But anyway, anyway, uh, I, I do enjoy what you're uh, what you're doing, and and. Uh, how you revised your your investment strategy? Uh, I think you're you know it's it's really actually for someone like me who's still more of a of a uh, free market ideologue. It's good uh, what you have to say is is very helpful to me. So I'm really happy to have you uh, from my personal perspective as well. 
uh, you, you talked about um, some of the main themes, the countervailing forces at play uh, that you are looking at. Um, you, you say, uh, you know, let's. So I'd like to sort of explore those with you, uh, both negatives and positives. I thought maybe we start out with the negatives. Some of the uh, some of the countervailing forces that you talk about uh, first, and then when you get those out of the way, maybe we can go to the happier, positive uh, themes. Okay. But uh, the one of you mentioned is chickens are coming home to roost. Yes. Yes. So um, I think uh, we can go back as far as you want. We could go back to the founding of the Fed. But, you know, let's go back 15 years to the great financial crisis. And um, the idea was to intervene and uh, and basically print more money, expand the Fed's balance sheet. And it just it gave us this long boom. Um, but uh uh, it, it also built up uh, excesses and debts and malinvestment, and I think the, the chickens are, are coming home to roost from, from that policy. Um, you know, we now, the Fed is, a, is essentially out of bullets. We're, we are probably in a recession. The first quarter uh, GDP was, uh, real GDP was down, I think, one and a half percent. I don't think things have gotten any better in the second quarter. So um, we're probably in a recession. I think we are in a prolonged uh, bear market, um, and I don't think this is going to be like the, uh, the March 2020 downturn where the, uh, the Fed just came to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned margin debt is still very high. It's too high, you say, by, I, I guess, historical standards, uh, and cash levels are still too low. Uh, yes. So, um, so uh, the uh, margin debt um, peaked last year uh, at um, 900 uh, billion and change. We're down about 17% this year, but margin debt is still a little over 3% of GDP, and that was actually the, the peak of the last two bubbles: the tech bubble and the and the credit bubble. So, I think that we really need to. Uh, um, you know, probably get that down, maybe cut it in half from, from here, at least in, in terms of. Mm-hmm. Then it, when it comes to the, uh, the cash levels, um, I, I like to look at Charles Schwab reports their cash levels every, every month. So uh, the Schwab, the Charles Schwab cash levels, uh, um, they report every month. Um, it came out at, at 11.9%. Uh, the peak last year, the peak of the bubble, got down to 10.3%, but um, we should see that go over 20%. We should see those cash levels uh, with the retail investor go over 20%. So we're, we're, we're not there yet. And I think the final negative is that we've had this, this asset inflation, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea behind the Fed policy has been the wealth effect. Right. And so one way that you can measure this is if we were to look at a 60, a hypothetical 60-40 portfolio and then adjust it for um, year-over-year CPI, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I thought, well, let's use as a proxy the S&P 500 for the equity um, part and uh, the TLT or the 20-year bond ETF for the bond part. And then, then let's adjust it for CPI. And mm-hmm. if you go back to the great financial uh, crisis in 2008, the the worst of it, the worst wealth effect, uh, reverse wealth effect was from October of 07 to October of 08. 
it was a minus 22%. So as an investor in a, you know, quote, conservative portfolio, you lost 22% of your purchasing power over that 12-month period. Now, the S&P was down 36%, but the bond portion helped you because it was up 8%. Okay, now let's fast forward to where we are as of the end of, of April. You're down in purchasing power, you're already down 13%. Now, that is despite the fact that the S&P 500 is flat over that time. So what's doing all the damage? Well, two things are doing the damage. One is CPI is running 8.2%. The other is that the TLT is down 12.5%. Wow. So the negatives, I think what is what um, is really different this time is what's going on in the bond market. And it is, it is absolutely, um, you've got um, year to date, the TLT is down 29%, muni bonds down 22%, investment grades down 15%, high yield bonds down 10%. You know, so there is a lot of damage in the bond market. And what's interesting is that the most damage is actually in, in the government area. I think that's, that's yeah. telling us something. So that kind of sums up all the negatives. All right. Well, are there ways, given your past history and ability to make money in, in these kind of markets, are there some ways you're playing this on the short end or the short side of the market? Well, we're definitely hedging. Mm -hmm. um, we we are short the S&P 500 and we're short the NASDAQ 100. So um, the big, you know, the big names, I think, are still pretty expensive. Like if we were to look at valuations on Apple and Microsoft um, a lot of stocks have come down, uh, and they're certainly they're certainly a lot cheaper than they were at the beginning of the year. But I think those types of stocks are still expensive, and I think there are other risks uh, involved in those in those companies as well. Um, but um, you know, we were we were short bonds. I covered that. I probably covered it a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know we're we're seeing some. Uh, on the sentiment side, the market vein bullish consensus on treasuries uh, came in at 38%. That's one of the lowest readings we've had in a while. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a rally in the in the bond market at uh -huh. some point, and we'll we'll kind of look for another opportunity to get short. But I mean, down down 29% on on the TLT is probably a little bit late, at least for now. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly you would think if the equity markets really get slammed hard, there would be some of that money going into the bond market, but uh, oh, let's turn to the positives uh, then. Uh, bubbles spawn anti-bubbles. That's one. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So um, bubbles, bubbles spawn anti-bubbles. Um, we saw this with the uh, the tech bubble in 2000 when the Nasdaq peaked in March of 2000. A lot of the old economy value stocks troughed at the, exactly the same time. It was like a mirror image, and um, so I think this time. We've got this everything bubble. Um, a lot of the bubble is in the uh, the index type, the passive investing index type stocks in the S&P 500, larger names. So I think if you look across the index divide, um, you, you can see some opportunities. Um, retailers, retailers, uh, they've been, they were disrupted, you know, very obviously by e-commerce over the past decade and a half. Um, that that uh, story is very well known. What's not as, as well known is the fact that um, these companies have been through a tremendous amount of adversity. Um, they first 
the, uh, the the damage from from Amazon, they survived that. Then they got hit with COVID and the lockdowns, they survived that. And so, okay, we're going into a really bad recession right now. But I think these these uh, companies, a lot of them are, are battle tested, and these stocks are um, ridiculously cheap. I mean, they're not felony cheap yet, but they're I would call them easily dirt cheap. Um, gold and gold stocks, that's another sort of anti-bubble. Um, we've had a lot of inflation and they've really not participated. Um, you had uh, uh, the, the massive sell-off in Russia. We actually tried to catch the falling knife there. And I think that's going to turn out pretty well, but you can't even really invest there right now because uh, the trading's been halted, unless you trade on the Moscow Stock Exchange. Um, and then China, you know, there's there's just this perception that we can cancel everybody around the world, and and uh, China sort of fits in with that. Um, and uh, boy, stocks in China have just gotten torched. Um, you know, lots of like uh, stocks down 75 percent. And um, I just looked at numbers on Alibaba. I mean, this is an amazing company, and it's trading at something like 11 times earnings. Oh. Um, so we like uh, K Web is the um, uh, the China ETF. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, kind of in the the anti. Those would be some of the the uh, areas in the anti bubble uh, area. Right. Is that a KWEB? Is that a an internet ETF? Uh, it's a yeah. It invests in um, companies like Tencent, Alibaba, uh -huh. uh, JD.com. So it's really uh, you know a lot of the internet names, uh, e-commerce names, um, the kinds of things that we want to you know we. Look, there's a lot of negative things going on in, in China, and I, I'm not I'm not downplaying those, but um, I just think these are world-class companies that are are on sale right now. Mm -hmm. To what extent are you concerned, if at all, uh, about the reporting that comes out of these companies? There's some some noise being made about uh, the re the standards that they're uh, that they apply in their accounting and so forth. Yeah, um, I think these are world-class companies, and uh, I know there's been, you know, there are negatives. Uh, there's, there's, let's put it this way: there's a lot of anti-China sentiment. Um, yeah, the U.S. government is targeting them. They're doing everything they possibly can. Um, you know, there's also the issue of the 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 uh, variable interest um, entity structures, and um, you know, the K-Web. They have um, a lot of these stocks. Well, they, I think all of them trade on the the Hong Kong exchange. So, mm -hmm. um, what they found, and they they own these um, these depository receipts, and are the which are under this this structure because you can't really own a a, a Chinese stock directly right. as a foreigner. And um, and they were able to convert these um, into the Hong Kong shares, which are which are a little bit less liquid than the uh, the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, depository shares, but you know, there's some. Um, so, so I think there, it, it's it's overblown. Let's just put it yeah. that way. I think, and I'm just taking, I'm looking at the long view on this, and and I have a feeling that you know neither country has in their interest mutually assured destruction. Uh, you mentioned under another positive underinvestment in energy and commodities. Uh, yes, and um, you know I think this is has a lot to do with ESG. Um, and yeah. so I just believe that energy prices will stay higher for longer. Um, we're not really adding to our positions. We've, we've trimmed a little bit. I think we're going to get some demand destruction because of the recession. Um, but, um, you know, I would use the recession and any weakness in, in those stocks to probably add the positions. And I just, 
you know, we're not seeing when you look at uh, drilling activity in North America, oil and gas drilling activity, you're just you're seeing some pickup, but you're not seeing anywhere near the pickup that you saw, let's say, in uh, 2007, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, growth stocks have been decimated. I guess maybe you might have you might have touched on that. Uh, um, yeah. You know, we've. One of the themes that, that I like is the idea of location independence, remote work, um, the idea that the government is trying to cancel everybody. So, uh, you know, maybe you want to have some mobility. And, um, and so there are a lot of stocks that went just, you know, nuts in the, in the pandemic like Zoom that uh, I think Zoom got up to $470 a share. It's, it's now under 100 um, you know, the market cap, the cash to cash is about 18 percent of market cap. You know, insiders is founder led insiders own 20 percent. Um, you know, so things like that. I, I know there's some competition there. Um, so, you know, none of these things are a slam dunk. But there's there are a lot of interesting ideas that are down, you know, 75, 80 percent. Um, Airbnb is another one that I recently recommended and, you know, they're turning the, the corner, the profitability founder led. I, I really like, I think they get it. I think uh, Brian Chesky gets it when it comes to, um, you know, this whole, this whole theme about location independence. And I think they're, you know, they're very well positioned and, and basically owner operated, really long-term oriented, which is what we like. And it, and it's reasonable. I'm not saying these stocks are cheap or dirt cheap like the retailers, but they're reasonable. And who knows, maybe they'll get cheap or cheaper and, and we'll be able to buy more. I, I don't really know. Kevin, with only about a minute and a half left here, and there's so much more to ask you about, but you had some themes that we might discuss and we just haven't gotten to them. But one that struck my uh, fancy here, political correctness will increasingly corrupt corporate cultures and consumer brands get wake uh, get woke and go broke and <laughs> i'm and, and, and i'm having having to wonder if you think elon musk might be seeing that uh as well with his uh with his uh interest in twitter yeah you know i don't know that i would say that that musk is the poster child for that i think i think he is is somewhat politically incorrect and in his position on twitter um, you know, really took a, a position in terms of free speech. So, um, you know, I'm going to step back on Musk for a little bit, but I'm thinking more of the, the Disney's and the Nike's and these companies, you know, Nike, um, ESPN at Disney, Nike. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, Microsoft, Google, uh, these are companies that are really pushing this whole diversity and inclusion nonsense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to corrupt these cultures. And I just think it's a risk that investors are not really appreciating. And, you know, when you've got these stocks um, like Microsoft, that like 25 times earnings or whatever, and heading into a recession, then you've got this added risk. I just I wouldn't want to touch companies like that. And I think you're, you're going to find them in terms of bigger companies. Another example would be McDonald's. Um, I think trying to promote the the narratives, whatever the official narratives are, so they do dumb things like uh, they've got 800 uh, stores in, in uh, Russia, and they you know they sell them at a fire, you know they're trying to sell them at a fire sale. So th- I think a lot of a lot of this stuff can be destructive, and I just don't want to be anywhere near it. All right, Kevin, we're going to have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll have to do it again sometime soon, but we are out of time. Uh, all right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Next week we'll. Um, we will um, have Peter Buchbar with us, Michael Oliver, 
and Michael Wood of Rena Gold. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 